Under the leadership of that hardy woodsman, Daniel Boone, a large party set out for the new land, Kentucky. Where else comes to be pretty like me? I'm Colonel Harold Sanders, and I'd like to tell you a little bit about my Kentucky Fried Chicken. Have I told you you people are crazy? This is Old Kentucky Tales, the only podcast that solemnly swears that we have never dropped 800 grand at a card game. <laughs> Today's title is The Henry Clay Personality Quiz. I am your host, Brent Taylor. With me is the man who is not Jason Donner, guest host, Daniel Hurt. Yes, I'm very happy to be here. This is my second time as a... I think I was a guest before, not a guest host. Yeah, we've so. had you as a guest, and so now you've been upgraded to guest host. Jason had to take care of his daughter, and so he may be out for a few episodes. Don't worry about that out there if you're the worrying type. Daniel's going to fill in, do great for us, and then we'll get a couple of these these things knocked out. Yes, in I'm this, happy to do it because, you know, it's the Paducah 2's flagship broadcast, River City Presents. I'm the host of that. And you've been on my show many times. So Yeah, I've I'm been a guest of yours. Here. And so now we're just kind of completing the circle there for sure. And you've got some good episodes out too. Yes, there we've you and I have done an episode on the interwars period between World War I and II. We've talked about the War of 1812. I've had musical guests on here lately. You'll have to check it out, Facebook. Twitter, uh, Channel 2, if you live in Paducah. Indeed, River City presents. In this episode of Old Kentucky Tales, our main event will rate Henry Clay's personality traits to see if we can discover why he never became president. And along the way, don't forget to support the fake history sponsors who support Old Kentucky Tales. The products are real, only the sponsorship is fake. Well, I know him so well that I call him Joe. Oh, this is really great. Uh-huh. Listen to the fans. Mr. Wick sizing up the pitch. Eyes on ball, he starts that devastating swing. Squarely, solidly, powerfully. Bat meets ball. With his eyes still focused on the batted ball, Joe follows through with a tremendous release of driving power. Remarkable series of repetitive flashes show you the famous DiMaggio swing and follow-through, all in one picture above. Below at the left, you see Joe enjoying a camel. Or with Joe DiMaggio, when the game is over, it's now for a camel. Yes, camel. The milder cigarette with less nicotine in the smoke. Right off the bat, Joe DiMaggio, shown at home, will tell you, he finds camels easy on the throat, milder in every way. They've got the flavor that hits the spot every time. You bet he likes camels. He smoked camels for eight years. They have the mildness that counts within. Now it's 28% less nicotine. So, Daniel, nothing says big-time sports like cigarettes. Apparently, if you just smoke cigarettes, you become really good at baseball all of a sudden. Man, he's just knocking them out of the park, and it's because of Joe Camel. Well, right, because he relaxes, and then he can keep his mind focused on the ball. Next thing you know, home run. I don't know, man. He's just, I like the voice of the narrator. He's just like, what do you want from me? Here, have a cigarette. Get out of my face. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, it's just so it's so funny how they how they couch that, right? And then I always like this thing about twenty eight percent less nicotine. You're gonna be addicted, but a little less so. Yeah, I just don't even know how that's a selling point. That kind of baffles me. 
Well, I think that, you know, you're in an era where doctors are smoking cigarettes and diagnosing your problems. So it's like, you know, everybody's doing it. Why not be the cool kid? Have a cigarette. Let's go. Look, Joe's doing it. It's the ultimate peer pressure. Yeah. Well, everybody smoked, and it was just kind of this hip thing. And Hollywood, they've got all the little scenes where they've got those cigarettes there. And it was just part of it all. Maybe it'd be 28% less nicotine, but 90% more cool. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. That's exactly the way they're playing that, too. It reminds me of, like, later on in life, the Cracker Barrels, and when they started implementing no-smoking zones, it's like, we're going to put some lattice in the way, or a little curtain, and you go ahead and smoke over there, but none of that tobacco smoke's going to get into your room. But. That was a bizarre era, right, where you get the smoking section and the non-smoking <laughs> section, as room. if you could keep them separated? That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it really was. But that's right around the peak of smoking. Right, right through their 40s, 50s, 60s, and then maybe you start seeing the decline. And, you know, it's one of those things where uh, a lot of celebrities were doing it. The cigarette companies knew that what they needed to do was to get celebrities and big stars to, to advertise for them. And, you know, everybody wants to be cool like Joe DiMaggio or whoever, right? So, I mean, that's why they do what they do. It still works today as an advertising technique. That's for sure. And now for the moment we've all been waiting for, the main event. Round one. Henry Clay. Is he the ultimate guy who never quite got across the finish line? Well, I mean, you're talking about a guy who who got the job as Speaker of the House the first day he was elected to Congress. So That's amazing, by the way. It makes me, you know, anybody who's an ambitious person in politics, you know, would hate him for that because it's like, welcome to the job. Now let's make him the CEO, the guy in charge, you know. Yeah, that's just a wild thing. And I was actually telling you this earlier. I thought there would be a great story there. So I was looking through all the biographies. They mentioned it. They never really seemed to make it a big deal. Well, it's just so cool. Of course he's the boss, right? (laughs) Right. He's the suave, like, walks in the room and has whatever he wants. It's great. You know, (laughs) but he's Secretary of State, Speaker of the House. He even got to be, what, a senator before the age limit? They were like, we'll just bend the rules a little bit for old Henry. We like him a little bit. Yeah, that was an appointment, and he was super close. So I think they just kind of looked the other way there for a second. But yeah, you're right. Uh, you you could have easily said, "Oh, well, no. Technically, he has not met the age requirement." <laughs> yeah, that's right. It just the little sense kind of they worked out for him. But the only thing that never worked out for him was this quest to be president, which is the one thing he wanted to. Oh, he really wanted it he, multiple times. He ran in the 1820s. He ran in the 1830s. He ran in the 1840s. It was a lot of seeking after that prize. Kind of reminds me of William Jennings Bryan a little bit, the multiple runs in its own unique way. Yeah, yeah, it would have that feel to it for sure. Although only he's in the later part of the century and Clay's in the earlier part. But yeah, this this kind of always striving for it, getting the nomination, sometimes getting kind of close in the general. He gets it. He's like, why don't you all see how great I am? You need to see how great I am. Yeah, yeah. So I thought what we would do is dissect him, and we're going to do a personality quiz. We've got a list of pros and a list of cons that we're going to make based on some of his biographical evidence here, and we're going to hash this thing out. We're going to see if we can get to the bottom of why he could never quite get it done. 
Let's take a look. It is the universal testimony of his contemporaries that Clay was the most emotional man they ever met. This is the key to his character. It explains his successes and his failures. It was this feminine quality which distinguished him from the able men with whom he served. What do you think about that, just right off the top? I, I don't know. I think it's fascinating that I want to know when this was written, because him being an emotional person, well, clearly being emotional is a womanly thing to do, right? You're it's not 19th century. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the manly thing is strong, silent type and so forth in the 1800s. Well, I, but I think at the same time, you know, Probably an emotional guy was not someone they were used to seeing. If you're used to seeing these stern sort of, you know, Abraham Lincoln stoicism sort of, but you right. see this guy who's passionate out there, sort of, I would argue, Daniel Webster-esque sort of like. Yeah, and they're contemporaries. Very, very emotional. Probably surprised people, the tones he struck. Yeah, but maybe that's exactly right. It amounted at times almost to hypnotic power. And very often it extended to absent treatment in quotation marks. I'm not even sure what that means, I but it sounds I, cool. Absent treatment. Maybe like know. distant. Is that it? Hmm. That's interesting, right? Well, it's like he it's like he bombards you with emotion and then he's like, No, no, no. <laughs> right. You've had enough Henry Clay for now. <laughs> Gotta leave you wanting a little uh, more. <laughs> you go over there That's like right. maybe they'll be like, Where'd he go? What's his story? <laughs> No man in his life was ever loved as Henry Clay. This guy. This guy. <laughs> this makes me mad. Men worked for him with enthusiasm and wept over his defeat. Women hung on his words and kissed him. There has been no such psychological phenomenon in all our history. Just makes me mad. I'm envious. <laughs> right. He's just the kind of guy. He's, you probably knew somebody like this back in high school. Right, he's... Uh, I'd like to think it was me, but it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> he's on the football team, and he's he drives a convertible, and then he shows up with, like, <laughs> the best-looking girlfriend ever, and, and, then, and then he makes an A on the test. Yeah, and then you're like, but here's the deal, boy. You're not going to get to be president. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. The, the ultimate thing. And his comeback to that was, I'd rather be right than president. What do you think about that? I don't think he meant it. <laughs> That's just the thing you say, yeah. bitter. I think he really wanted to be president based on the evidence of the multiple candidacies. <laughs> yeah, right. You wouldn't put yourself through that. But what's funny, you know, is that John Quincy Adams is sort of the bookworm that wouldn't have been the popular charismatic kid that gets to be president. So this is the story, kids. Get your academics right. Don't worry about being popular. You'll get to be president and the other guy won't. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Sometimes it does work that way. <laughs> All right, so our number one thing there is this emotion. So do you think pro or con for your personality quiz? I think it's a pro. I think it's a pro because it, especially for the time it was unexpected. And so tugging on the heartstrings, that's, that's definitely, if you're looking at it from the perspective of what benefits him personally, definitely being emotional is unusual and therefore sort of interesting. Makes him stand out. I mean, if he's thing. got... Men weeping because he's lost something and women wanting to go out with him. I mean, he's doing something right. So, Okay. You've sold me. I'm going to put that under our pros list. <laughs> what do you so, think? I mean, you think that's – Yeah, no, I, th I think I think you're hitting upon something there because he's going to stand out. He's not just the run-of-the-mill politician of that era. What might a con be from that? 
Maybe people don't understand it. They think he's a put-on, which maybe he is. <laughs> okay, right. So that could maybe be misinterpreted. Something like that maybe it could go with the con, right? He's opportunistic, maybe. That's, they would see that as sort of... Oh, it looks phony. ...performing. Yeah, and I mean, I've seen yeah. politicians today that are like, I love the children, you know, <laughs> right. and you're just like, no, nah, you probably don't. <laughs> 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 right. And we should mention, you know politicians. I do. I've worked in politics for 10 years, and thank goodness I did my last campaigns. I don't have to do this anymore, at least for now. So I'll All never right. say never because it's like Godfather Part 3. They pull me back in. I try to get away. <laughs> right. Yeah, they're good. just as soon as you think you're out, they there you go. pull me back in. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. All right, let's go on to this next mm-hmm. thing. In person, he was attractive. So now a physical description. Six feet, one inch tall. This checks out, by the way, with your football star, charismatic guy that women are fawning over. This okay. Is, he's the yeah. six foot tall man. He checks yeah. a lot of boxes with that. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Spare in youth and well-proportioned in later life. He had, in addition to a pleasing appearance, the quality of self-reliance in the extreme. No man ever saw him embarrassed in society at the bar, in Congress, or in diplomacy. And we kind of forget about it. He's a big-time mm. diplomat. Yeah. This extended to a fault, since no man has himself, within himself, all knowledge or all wisdom. His hair in youth was white, eyes That's blue. Weird. Yeah, I guess super blonde uh. is what they're going for there. His eyes blue, forehead high, nose very large and blunt. The most conspicuous feature was his mouth, which was very large but not displeasing. This is interesting, right? Who wrote this book? <laughs> uh, is this the run-of-the-mill kind of bio stuff that they used to do back then? I'm just telling you, they sound like they like him. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting, right? You you always get those, especially a biographer. Biographers tend to fall in love with the subject. Yeah. It's just the way it goes. Well, I mean, of course, if they're taking the, that much time out of their life to write a book about him, you got to like the person that you're writing about. It'd be like, you know what, in the intro, I didn't really like this guy very much, but I <laughs> got a contract, so here it is. Right. It would be tough as a hit job, wouldn't it, <laughs> to work on it like that? I didn't like him. Let me tell you how bad he is. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> his lips were so formed that in his own words, he never could learn to spit. And so was no tobacco chewer. Which would have been weird back then, too, right? Because everybody had spittoons and sort of the that kind of deal. Yeah, I, I don't know what the stats are. I don't know that they really even had stats on that. They kept stats on cigarette smoking in the 20th century, but probably not on chewing tobacco in the 1800s. So that's interesting. It's hard to, hard to hmm. put a quantification on that. Yeah, pretty interesting to consider. He was a distinguished-looking man... But in repose, his face was far from handsome. So this is, this is the looks category. So what are we saying here? Pro versus con. So I'm 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 fascinated by a couple of things here. First of all, he's he's not wanting to show this weakness, this self reliance. That's very American in characteristic, the self made man, so to speak. Yeah. Even to the point of it being a problem, doesn't want to show weakness. Those are attractive qualities, certainly. It's just fascinating that he's described as, you know, I, I, the language choice is really fascinating. He's attractive, but his face is far from handsome. So, like, 
it makes me think there are other qualities about him that made him attractive. So maybe, you know, it's not just that they thought he looked good as a public speaker or politician, but it was the personality that went along with it. Looking presidential. Yeah. Isn't that always the thing in today's politics? He probably tried to do that because, unlike what he said, he really wanted to be president. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) But I would say that that's – I would say that that – you can't help but say that's a positive, right? I mean, if you're attractive and you're presidential, you can't help but say that. Besides, it makes me feel better about myself because they're saying essentially that – it's the personality that counts in the end. So. Overcoming some of the <laughs> facial features by just simply having a certain aura. Okay, yeah, that, that's true. And I think that's true not just in the context of politics, but in, in real life. Not to say that it's not real life, but, but in terms of your everyday life, I think that there are a lot of people that you see out and you're like, well, you're surprised to see that person in the job or with the person that they're with. And it's like, well, obviously, you know, it's not all that that matters. It's personality. It's the charisma. It's likability. And okay. so that's just on a larger scale. All right. So I've got that in the pro category then. Number three is his voice. His voice was a wonderful organ. It ranged from deep bass to high falsetto. And he early learned to have it under complete control and modulated it to the need of each occasion. Its sympathetic quality stood him in good stead. Had he studied vocal music, he would have been an unusually fine singer. So he's got a great voice. But what does it sound like, though? He said that he could basically do it all, right? I just, I guess when I think of, it's kind of like Lincoln, I guess I think of all politicians in the 19th centuries having a Gregory Peck, do you <laughs> right. have no decency, sir, sort of voice. <laughs> yeah, and what's funny about that is Lincoln's voice was not supposed to be that way at all. It was supposed to be sort of nasally and people didn't really like it. Like a wily sort of almost country backwoods accent, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. And they're both from Kentucky, so maybe he didn't have a super deep voice, but they say that he had a rich voice. I, I understand what that means. It's like he would have been great at like reading audio books today. Like if, yeah, yeah, if yeah, yeah. Presidential yeah. politics hadn't worked out, he'd been a great audible. Exactly. Audible employee. <laughs> exactly. So that doesn't hurt, especially in the 1800s. This is the age of oratory, and you have to hit the stump, and you have to deliver the speech. And projection, too, because there's no microphones, so you've got to— Correct. Really make sure that they hear you. So I'd say that's positive just because, well, I mean, if you're going to listen to someone talk for 90 minutes at a stump speech, you got to at least hear, want to hear the voice, right? So, I mean. Oh, yeah. 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 I'm with you. That's definitely the pro. Now about his book learning, as it were. Mm. He was no profound scholar, had no knowledge of metaphysics or the refinements of logic, and cared little for books. He affected to despise such things, and this was a great weakness. So the author already sets you up there to put that in the con. Hmm. He seldom cared to learn, except from experience, which he did not always take to heart. His self-dependence was not always justified, but often enough to exaggerate his own idea of his infallibility. He asked little advice and always made his political programs unaided. Hmm. Elsewhere, it has been noted that he was not learned in the learned in the law, but where success in difficult cases came unexpectedly to others, it was due to his rare resourcefulness and his keen 
perceptions and an adroit way of turning things to his own advantage. This makes me feel better about myself because I sort <laughs> of have that I'm 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 the smartest guy in the room. Sometimes I'll admit that I do that. But you know, it's fascinating because if you were he's setting you up for a con, but I don't know that it is because it sort of reminds me of the George W. Bush phenomenon. Would you want to have a beer with this guy versus, you know, some uh, talking about astrophysics with Neil deGrasse Tyson or something? The beer know? factor is always in the discussion, isn't it? And I, and I really do think I'm with you on that, too, where if he's too cerebral, then maybe it's a turnoff to voters. Yeah, no, I mean, especially at that time, too, when not everybody, you know, oh, yeah. had access to college education or even primary school, really. And, you know, something else that's fascinating, too, that I was just thinking about is that, um, you know, he he can say things like, look, I'm not some highfalutin lawyer who's this or that. I'm just like you, a common guy. I don't have... <laughs> In the words of Anchorman Ron Burgundy, leather-bound books and the rich smell of mahogany. <laughs> right. <laughs> but he's common. He can sort of hit the he, – he can sort of do the diplomat, fancy elitist stuff while also having the connection to the average everyday person. It's the perfect package to run president. I got to say that's exactly what people always are looking for. So, yeah, sounds like he, he definitely had that part figured out. Now for his – Instincts. I put that under the pros myself. Yeah, I think so too. And you know something else that I thought about too with uh, with that is like even this most you know I think the one time that it's interesting is this most recent election because if you've got Trump and Biden both both of those guys are probably pretty interesting socially I would say. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, Biden people have always liked Biden. He's like getting an ice cream cone and like let's talk on the phone. Let's go meet your family. And Trump is pretty laid back too, so I right, can tell. But right, yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. Uh, normally, you have that juxtaposition, but in that case, maybe they just offset each other. So now for Clay's instincts. His first instincts were usually correct, and he was bold in stating his position. Having thus declared himself, he seemed to think that he had paid sufficient tribute to absolute truth as he understood it and was justified in becoming latitudinarian. I don't know what that means. So not stuck with a uh, certain doctrine, that, that he could be sort of malleable. So pragmatic. Pragmatic is always the word they use in politics, isn't it? Yeah, that's the word that I know. <laughs> yes. Thus, when charged with inconsistency on any great political subject, he would point to some original statement he had made, often quite at variance with the popular understanding of his existing <laughs> position, and triumphantly discomfit his accusers. <laughs> I know what that means. They're like, you're flip-flopping. And he's like, no, I'm being pragmatic. I have evolved, sir. Yeah. I have right. evolved. It's the ultimate move. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I've learned. Yeah, that's interesting. So... Pro or con, this is actually kind of tough on this category. What do you think? You're you're not always going to stick with those original positions. And you might vacillate a little back and forth. Well, I mean, George H.W. Bush trying to explain, read my lips, no new taxes. I was just being pragmatic. I thought I'd raise your taxes just a little bit. Right, yeah. right. That proved not to be the best course of action. 
I mean, here's the trouble that I have. I admire pragmatism, and I really like it. But at the same time, it's probably not the best course of action. You know, consistency is important in politics. So I think if you're looking at it from a political perspective, it's a con. So I, I would probably put it down as a con. It's definitely going to be viewed by a lot of voters that way. A lot of voters aren't looking for nuance. Yeah, unfortunately. I mean, I'm, I'm the kind of guy who's like, yeah, I didn't like that you did that, but that's okay. You know, I understand you have reasons for why you do it. You sort of give them the benefit of the doubt. You have more intelligence briefings information than I do, so the decision you make, one would assume, right. would be better. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of leaning con on the nuance thing. Yeah, I think I'm going to just because it, if you're looking at it as we have thus far about setting you up to be president, that's yeah, uh, yeah, um, yeah. A lot of people will charge you with being a hypocrite or whatever. Michael Dukakis driving a tank. He's tough. <laughs> uh, okay, right. Classic example. So this next thing here uh, was sort of like his ways. Except in the height of angry colloquy. So professional debate. Mm. He was courteous and generous. He was a fine sample of the courtly Virginian and the noblesse oblige. Fancy uh, French word for... Elitism. Yeah, like nobility, right? <laughs> <laughs> was with him an article of faith and practice. So he can run in those circles. Doesn't bother him at all. Mm. He's, he's comfortable there. At the bar, he was courteous. In debate, he never took unfair advantage. And only when roused by passion, with too generous admixture of whiskey, did his better nature lose control. Mm. So he might drink a little too much. But other than that, he's a pretty polite guy. Basically, what you're saying is he can go to, like, the fancy upscale place, or then he can go to, like, you know, it's the difference between going to, like, Malone's and Cracker Barrel. You know, he can hang out at both. All right. Sorry to Cracker Barrel. Pretty much, uh, that's kind of a pro, right? Well, I don't know. I mean, drinking and getting away from you is not, though. But they did say that was the only thing, and that's probably yeah. pretty widely accepted the 1900s. People drank a lot yeah. in the 1800s. Some stats say more than today. My teetotaler's coming out. I'm over yeah. here. Here we go, judging people. But right. No, I, I think you're probably right. That no, his ability to be in both common circles and elitism circles that's got to, pardon the pun, trump everything else because, mm-hmm. you know, that is essentially, in order to do that job well, you've got to be able to walk the halls in Washington and have your, you know, caviar and cream cheese and whatever, and then at the same time go back out there to the voter and be like, hey. I'm just like you. I enjoy a nice cup of joe. So here we are. And he might actually really mean it. Yeah, and it could be authentic. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. My my cynicism's coming out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, right. (laughs) Okay, so this next thing has to do with... So um, what did we say on that? Did we say that that was... I put it under pro. Diplomacy is, I guess, what I would call it. I put common and elite simultaneously under my pro list. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, 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 yeah. So this next one has to do with holding grudges and these little battles that you get into mm-hmm. in the political life. In spite of his angry passages with many persons, he never cherished resentments. With most of his foes, he made peace before he died. Crittenden 
and that is Senator Crittenden. John Jay, of, right. Yeah, exactly, yeah. from Kentucky. Alone appears to have been kept out of the inner circle almost to the last, yet Clay was so far from resentment that he urged on Taylor his appointment to a cabinet position, and it was made. In his last years, there was a vacancy in the Lexington Post Office. A good position in those days. The late incumbent was a Whig, but his assistant was a Democrat and an aspirant for the vacant position. He was popular and in every way worthy, but his chances seemed nil. Clay promptly had him appointed by a Whig administration. I'm impressed by this. So he's bipartisan in in the way that, hey, this guy's a good candidate. Let's let him do it. In the way that politicians say that they are, but they aren't really always. Yeah, he was kind of the real deal. So tell me, what was the thing he had with John J. Crittenden? Was there this long feud or something? Or I've never read much about that. I it's probably Crittenden was also popular. Also, from maybe just a general ah, he's the rivalry. Other kid on the football team. Who is yeah. this guy? Yeah, yeah, it may be something like that. Since he was coming along a little bit later, odd because he's like not wanting to forgive him all the way to the end. I'm a forgiving person, but not for <laughs> not that guy. Not for John Jay. Yeah, yeah, Sorry. that would be worth looking into. I I don't know much about their <laughs> their history. Let's see then. Oh, we got to decide where that goes. Yeah. Uh, no, um, I would say that's a strength because it's like. It's being the stronger person, being the bigger man. Okay. I think that's a strength. On the other hand, though, I mean. You could be punished for that at the electorate. They uh, they might not. The line. Yeah. Why, why are you going to nominate a Democrat? But at the same time, though, it reminds me of like, you know, Obama got elected president in 2008 and his administration, you know, he kept some of the Bush people mm-hmm. like Robert Gates at defense, for example. Yeah, it's a good example. So, I mean, I, I think that that's probably okay. What I was thinking was is you put the opposite team in charge and then they don't do what you want them to do because they aren't aligned with you. Right. That can be sort of – but that's probably not likely to happen. You're going to pick somebody that's going to be cooperative, I would think. So I'd put that down as a strength, certainly. Okay. The next thing is his ambition. The weakness of Clay's character lay in his easy seduction by the siren of ambition. Time and again, he renounced public life and determined to enjoy himself at Ashland, but never for long. I'm going to retire. No, I'm not. This this one rings home for me. <laughs> I'm done with politics, right? For now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can the, actually relate to that. The same sort of thing. Kentucky was ever anxious to honor him, and Whigs, the country over, were constantly invoking his aid. His perfervid imagination always came to him at such times as a thief in the night. It demonstrated how he could become president with such apparently mathematical accuracy that he could not resist. The math is really there this time mm-hmm. on the path to the White House. Sure it is, Henry. <laughs> Right? <laughs> You're the smartest guy everyone knows. Why not? Just go for it. You'll be fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, always seeking that higher office. That's got to be a con, right? I, You know, I think that uh, I think that's interesting because, you know, ambition is good. But as we know, the ancient Greeks, hubris, excessive pride and ambition can be the downfall of man. So... 
you know, I, I, I definitely relate to someone going, I'm going to quit for a while and go home and enjoy normal life. And the whole time they're at home enjoying normal life, they're like, okay, what's the next thing I can run for? Right. And uh, so you don't want to seem overly ambitious. You know, I think that's true. Um, so, yeah, I would say probably that's a con. Yeah. Okay. I'd say so, too. I'm just going to put next office there under con. Well, it's like you're not really appreciating the office that you're in. You're just using it as a stepping stone. Oh, yes. Something else. Exactly and, right. And that's always been something that, like, personally, I see people do that, and I don't like it. So Okay. Then this Andrew Jackson guy comes along and says, wait a minute now. Ooh, that. Now, th- those guys had a big rivalry. Forget Crittenden. <laughs> Jackson is he it. He forgave that guy, apparently. So. <laughs> so the next thing here is vices. Always have vices. Everybody's got one. Right? It is necessary to consider some of his habits in detail because of the extraordinary charges that were made concerning him during his lifetime and which are still believed by many persons. According to the custom of his time, he drank rather freely, but seldom to excess. We talked about that. Mm-hmm. Every now and then, you get a little crazy with it. No it's like one college party, you know? Sometimes it runs over a little bit. <laughs> right, right. No one ever saw him under the influence of liquor, or at least to a degree that made a painful impression. So he was a jovial guy. Yeah, you know, he drinks a little and whatever, and it's never completely out of control. Or at least to a degree, uh, which made a painful impression. In his youth, he was esteemed a moderate man in all things. And in his later years, he raised wine on his own estate, of which he was very fond. So the one where you would go stay at for like weeks at a time thinking about what he's going to run for next. Ashland, exactly right. It was only occasionally that he indulged in whiskey, if we can believe the contemporaneous accounts. In the committee rooms of the Senate, liquor was to be found, and it was almost universal custom for members to fortify themselves repeatedly. Again, people drank a lot back then. Our taxpayer dollars. That's excellent. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. On some occasions, Clay is said to be eyewitnesses, oh, by eyewitnesses, to have taken enough to add to the fury of his indignation, but never to show any signs of intoxication. But, you know, that that's like politicians speak for he's completely blasted or something, you know? <laughs> he wasn't completely gone. He had lost control of his senses for a brief moment. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah, sure, okay. <laughs> All right, so what do we think here? In that time, drinking some, but they all kind of drank back oh, then. Oh, no, I mean, yeah, it's uh, widely accepted. No, I mean, I, I no, I mean, it's a social thing. So, like, you you know, you can't go to probably many social occasions without having a drink or something or at least being offered one, and to refuse it might be rude. So, okay. no, I think, that's, I think that's a positive because it's getting him in the door. Okay, moderate drinker. I like that supposedly he's moderate in general, like his strive right. for moderation. Right. That is a that. hallmark of his career, right? Making the deals and the compromises. I was being pragmatic. I learned. <laughs> right. All right. Here's another vice. This will be kind of our last thing. In youth, he played for high stakes. So this is gambling. Mm. Oh, I know where this is going. But was not a gambler in the modern sense of the word. He only played with friends and aboard the public gaming, which he never attended. In his day, the favorite game of chance was Boston, 
and Clay was so fond of this that he would spend most of the night at play. In Washington, during his earlier career, he is said to have lost $8,000 in a single night. In that kind of money? Yeah, so back then, I usually like to put two zeros on it. It's probably a little more than that, actually, but two zeros is easy math. So you're looking at almost a million dollars. Oh, my God. (laughs) What is this game he's playing? It's called Boston. I'm not sure the details of it, but it's a game of chance, right? (laughs) Um, Well, he's not very good. (laughs) What's funny about that is... One of these Washington socialites was complaining to Mrs. Clay about that. And she was like, did you know he's always out there gambling late at night and drinking? And and, and, and he's playing for big money. And Mrs. Clay said it didn't bother her because he usually always wins. Oh, oh my God, he's James Bond. There's a scene in this James Bond movie where he's like, what's it feel like? You know, you're going to lose, James. How does that make you feel? And he's like, well, I've never done it, so I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I thought he raced horses. I thought he was like a horse racer. Uh, he's a horse guy. Yeah. yeah. He, uh, he is one of the things that he did there with the farm yeah, cause at I, Ashland. Because I heard that, that he used to sort of early drag race horses through Lexington streets, and they were like, <laughs> right. you can't be doing that, man. Like, but I'm Henry Clay. It should be fun, right? <laughs> It's all it's all in good fun. <laughs> so his I guess his biggest vice then is he does these high stakes gambling things. And that can be viewed by certain voters as pretty unseemly. Well, it's fascinating because like even a state like Kentucky, you know, you are not allowed to casino gamble in this state. You know, you have to go to Illinois or somewhere else. So like, yeah, there are states that have conservative enough values that like that seem poorly. You know, but on the other hand, Kentucky has the Kentucky Derby, which is like the biggest gambling thing in the whole world. So nothing makes sense. Commonwealth <laughs> <Right>. of Kentucky. <laughs> so That is it's a, kind of a great paradox, right? Our slogan should be, welcome to Commonwealth of Kentucky, where things don't make sense. Here we go. <laughs> All right. We got our pros. We got our cons. The pros, according to my list, are outweighing the cons. Where did you put that last one? I put it under con. That The drinking and gambling part? Especially the gambling part. I yeah. think the I think yeah. the drinking he gets a pass, yeah. but I think that gambling thing is viewed by certain people back then as well, he's losing like a million dollars. So, <laughs> I mean, unless you're elitist enough to be like, oh, just eight hundred thousand dollars, that's fine. <laughs> right, I'll, I'll win it back on the next one. Yeah. So I've got all but three on mine as pros. I mean, it's pretty overwhelming, but I mean, you know, I think the most interesting thing that's on the con side though was ambition and nuance so like he was mm. in, he was pragmatic but you know he was also ambitious and i think that that's maybe that's the the deadly duo and it's like if he maybe he had been more consistent and not pl- he tried to govern responsibly is what it sounds like and so in an act of being responsible and pragmatic he limits himself from the prize he's always wanted it's like you have to change who you are to get what you want and he wasn't willing to do that so maybe he was more willing to be right than president look at that full circle whoa (laughs) i can't really say much after that (laughs) that's very meta yeah i don't know where i came with that just right out of me (laughs) all right well let's pay some bills around here this part of the program is brought to you by rutha's Patent gun animal trap. 
Call and see them at Joseph Griffith's Gun, Pistol, and Fishing Tackle Establishment on 5th Street in Louisville. <laughs> Do you see the picture here? Hold on. This one. looks like the most dangerous thing I've ever seen. We're going to shoot it, though. So a- Apparently, <laughs> you're, you've got a coyote or something, and you set up a little trap, and part of the trap is it's an actual gun. The thing takes the bait, moves the string, pulls the trigger oh, of the yeah, gun, yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, goodbye yeah. nuisance. Yeah, it's like the hotel thing. You've seen in movies, at least I have, where they got the rifle set up to where somehow when you open the door, it goes off. It's like in the mafia. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's what this is. Yeah. Well, it's, it's pretty appropriate, though. Politics, guns, why not? You know, Preston <laughs> Brooks beating up Charles, Charles Sumner. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that was a good one, wasn't it? So that's a real place in Louisville. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently and what would he, this have been of the time? Uh, that is 1858, that particular mm. ad. Yeah. So we have now turned to the final page of this chapter, but it's okay. Old Kentucky Tales never fails to return. You can download more episodes on Apple Podcasts or the NPR One app. That's a good way to do it. If you like what you hear, please leave a review or rate us. Apparently that helps things. If you did not like what you heard, there is no way you are with us at minute 41. So I'm not even worried about that at all. (laughs) I think we're good. (laughs) Special thanks to WKMS, our producer Todd Birdsong, our guest host Daniel Hurt, the Paducah School of Art and Design, West Kentucky Community and Technical College, and the rest is history. History.